when times are tough, when things are not really going well for you. That's the real test of our faith, isn't it? We're thinking this morning about the story of Abraham trusting God in tough times. Jesus never promised, you know, that his disciples would have it easy. He said, in this world, listen to this for a promise, (laughs) you will have trouble. How about that for a promise from Jesus? In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Some of you, no doubt, will have heard of uh, the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a German theologian and pastor who... uh, was executed in 1944 at the time of uh, Hitler's uh, regime. He said, uh, true discipleship is an invitation to come and die. I mean, would you have signed up for the Christian faith if you realized that that's what you were signing up for, to come and die? That's what he said. And of course, that's what Jesus said. For Abram... The supreme test of his faith came when God said to him, listen to this, imagine it. Imagine you're Abram. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Notice that this happened after the faith-stretching events of the previous chapters, chapters 12 through to 21. Living until he was a hundred years of age with the promise that he would have a son and yet not seeing it. (laughs) And you and your wife have passed it. But this led to Abram's confession of faith as Jehovah, as the everlasting God. Abram had a high view of God, but it remained to be seen whether or not he was prepared to keep on professing that faith when things got really tough. Talk is cheap. We can say whatever, whenever, wherever, I'm going to be faithful to you, Lord. But around the corner, you never know what lies. There's going to be a challenge there to that faith and that profession of faith. And I am persuaded that faith in God in proportion to our knowledge of doctrine is the missing factor amongst many evangelicals today. Paul warns us, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Abraham's faith was real enough. For grace and truth were beautifully blended in his life. His faith in God corresponded to his knowledge of God. We see that when God tested Abraham, there was a a challenge to risk everything. The whole challenge of this message this morning is this. Do you possess a real faith in God? A faith is going to stand times of real testing. Job, who suffered so much, was able to declare, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the last I shall see him. Let's notice in this story of Abram today what I've called the obedience of faith. Imagine again, the Lord saying to you, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. What would you have done? Well, of course, it's impossible to say what we might have, how 
we might have responded. But Abraham proves his faith by both his willingness and his worship at that most difficult time. I've said it here on more than one occasion, the most important characteristic of the Christian life is obedience. It's as we obey what the Lord says, we grow in grace and in our knowledge of him. But this was no ordinary obedience. I mean, you've known children, haven't you? Maybe you've been one yourself and you've been told to do something and you say, yes, I'll do it, but you do it grudgingly. We've all been there, haven't we? When there's a grudging obedience, we do it with a stiff upper lip, with gritted teeth perhaps, but here there was a willing obedience. Notice in verse 3 of our reading, it was early in the morning that Abram got up. There is no doubt it was the visions of the night through which God had spoken to him. He could have woken in the morning and said, did, did I really hear God speak to me? Uh, did God really ask this of me? Uh, isn't there an easier course, Lord? But Abraham got up early. He acted immediately on what God told him. Long before his herdsmen and servants were beginning to stir, he was already on his way. Therefore, God could say of him, you have obeyed me. Could the Lord say that of you? <laughs> you have obeyed me in all things. What a commendation that is from the Lord himself. You have obeyed me. True faith never stops to look at circumstances nor ponder results. It looks to God and obeys. When Paul received the revelation of the indwelling Christ to, to preach to the Gentiles, we read he did not confer with flesh and blood. No, had he done so, his testimony would have been nullified. Has God been speaking to you about something lately? Have you promised to do something for the Lord or for someone else, but you said it before the Lord? Can I remind you that delayed obedience is disobedience? What did I say? Can you tell me? Delayed obedience is so long as you hold back, you're being disobedient. Ever heard of Edward Kimball? He was an ordinary man, a Sunday school teacher who lived in the 19th century, and he was prompted to witness. He'd never done it before, but he really felt a real constraint from the Lord to go into a shoe shop in Boston, USA, and to witness to a young man, a 21-year-old young man. Well, he'd never done it before. He was terribly nervous. But he went in that shoe shop. He prayed for an opportunity to speak to this man, and he did. And you know what he did in that shoe shop? He led D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, to the Lord, age 21. What a phenomenal dis uh, man. He, he, he was the greatest evangelist, perhaps, of his day, D.L. Moody. God used him both in the United States and over here in the United Kingdom. Tens of thousands of people came to faith through the ministry of D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody led a certain Wilbur Chapman to the Lord, a name that you mightn't be familiar with, 
but he was a dynamic evangelist who led thousands to the Lord. And he led a, a certain strange man, a baseball player, an American baseball player called Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday led thousands to Christ. Billy Sunday was invited to take a, a mission in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, he, one of the many people that came to faith was a man called Mordecai Ham. Do you know the name Mordecai Ham? If you're, if you're a student of uh, Christian history, you might, because it was Mordecai Ham that was taking a mission when Billy Graham was saved. You heard of Billy Graham? Now in the glory, but a famous uh, reputation, leading people to Christ all around the world. Where do you all begin? With a certain young man called Edward Kimball, who was prompted to go and share his faith with a certain young man. You might never know the influence you have when you obey. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than doing what the Lord tells you. I can still hear my late mother's voice saying, John, when will you learn to do what you're told? <laughs> well, can I put it to you? When will you learn to do what the Lord prompts you to do. But this was no ordinary obedience, no reluctant obedience. It was a worshiping obedience. In verse 5 of our, our reading, he said, we'll go and worship. Abram's obedience was demonstrated in an act of worship. The attitude of worship reflects the mental mood of the man. There was no reluctance here at all. To him, the service of obedience was worship. And the more costly the act of obedience, the higher the order of worship. What a difference it would make in our lives if all of our acts of obedience were performed in a spirit of worship. We give a new meaning to the task that we do every day. Perhaps your office would become a place of witness. Maybe your kitchen would become a Bethel, a place where you meet with God. Service would cease to be mechanical and man-made distinctions between service and worship would be banished in the realm of the Spirit. It didn't matter to, to the Apostle Paul, you know, whether he was serving in the gospel or worshipping in the church. He did it all in the Spirit. How is it with you? How is your obedience? Is it a, a worshipping obedience, a, a willing obedience? But not only do we see the obedience of faith in the story, we see what I've called the offering of faith. In verse 12, when he comes to offer Isaac, he says, he hears a voice, verse 12 of our reading, a voice from heaven. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Thank God he intervened. What a tragedy that would have been. But this was a serious offering. Abraham didn't know that God would intervene. He was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son. You see, his offering of faith was characterized by costliness. In fact, an unspeakable costliness. We read Abraham, verse 9 of our reading, he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. Come to Mount Moriah with me for a moment. Imagine that is you with your child. And you feel the Lord is calling you to do that. Well, there's a moral dilemma there, isn't there? 
but to Abram, God had spoken. And therefore, there was no doubting. No matter how costly it was going to be, he was going to be about. But this is where I might suggest we, we hush our voices and we tread very softly over the story. For we're not permitted to watch the color fade from Abram's face or, or either from the face of Isaac. We can't hear the, the broken sobs must have been going on between them. Their kisses wet with their tears. All that we are allowed to see is the unmistakable act by which Abram virtually offered everything to God. Nothing was held back. He was risking everything for God. Is my faith like that? <laughs> is your faith like that? Is the Lord more to you than your nearest and your dearest? Are you prepared to surrender your Isaac? As I was preparing this, I paused because I've got a grandson called Isaac. <laughs> Are you prepared to sacrifice your Isaac? That which you love most in order to prove your faith? To God, Jesus declared, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a hard saying, isn't it? Did you get that? Jesus said it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. <laughs> I feel I need to pray, oh God, <laughs> search our hearts. Melt our hearts, fill our hearts, until we love you more than we love life itself. But the offering of faith was not only seen in the unspeakable costliness of this offer, but in this unshakable confidence. Notice what Abram says, stay here with the donkey, says to the servants. The boy and I will go over there and worship and notice what he says, and we will come back to you. Got it? Here he is going to sacrifice his son, going to kill him, but he says, we're going to come back to you. He believed in resurrection. <laughs> if he went through with it, he believed he and his son were going to come back together anyway. The sacrifice of Isaac wasn't done with the spirit of resignation to the will of God. Rather, it was faith working through love. Hebrew writer tells us, Abram, when he was tested, offered Isaac accounting, listen, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. He believed that even if he was to sacrifice Isaac, God could raise him from the dead. That's Old Testament. Not New Testament resurrection theology. Old Testament. That's faith. This was a high order of confidence in God. Isaac without God was nothing, but God with Isaac was everything. Abram knew that to surrender his costliest offering to God was not to lose it, but to receive it back in resurrection power and blessing. I don't know about you, but in preparing this message, I had to examine myself. 
And maybe you have to examine yourself whether we are of that kind of faith. Do we possess an unshakable confidence in God when he asks us to surrender our Isaacs? Or is there a shameful reluctance when we're asked to give our all to God? What have we seen so far? We've seen the obedience of faith. God spoke and Abram acted. We've seen the offering of faith. Offering his dearest and best up to God. Holding nothing back. But what was the consequence? What was what I've called the overflow of faith? In verses 15 through to 17. Let me read them to you again. The angel of the Lord called to Abram from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. And then... Almost in parenthesis, he says, because you have obeyed me. All through the obedience of faith. The blessing of this productive love was going to be seen in the blessing of his descendants, from which, of course, we have Judaism, we have Islam, we have Christianity, three great faiths all coming from this man Abraham. The stars of heaven and the sand upon the seashore accurately symbolize the productiveness of his seed throughout the centuries. But there's a, a spiritual fulfillment that God wants us to recognize. His purpose in our lives is to be fruitful. What is the fruit of the Christian life? The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love and joy and peace. Read the nine fruits for yourself in Galatians 5.22. That's what God wants to produce. In essence, it's the Jesus life. He wants to reproduce himself in and through us. And he not only wants to do that in us, to make our characters and our temperaments more like Jesus, he wants many others to come to faith through us as well. This was Paul's longing. Writing to the Romans, he says, I long to see you that I might have some fruit among you, just as I have seen among the other Gentiles. I'm an old man now, but I want to tell you, my greatest thrill is still leading someone to Christ. Seeing someone put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. To me, there is no greater thrill than that. I'm pleased to see I still, I'm still seeing it. This is the blessing of a productive love. Be, becoming more like the Lord Jesus and reproducing others in his likeness. But this is strong language in verse 17, if you're following your Bible. This is the blessing of aggressive faith. Take possession of the cities of their enemies. Throughout history, no nation has been... Uh, so hated and persecuted as Jews. But the day is coming. Well, they've already possessed the land, but
But God has got other promises yet to be fulfilled in and through his ancient people. But God looks to his spiritual Israel, you and me, the church of Jesus Christ, for lives of aggressive love in a world of uh, tribulation and hostility. It was the great Napoleon that had to admit that while Alexandra, the great Julius Caesar, and Charlemagne, and he had founded great empires upon force, only Jesus Christ had founded his empire upon love. What a legacy. When God's people love aggressively, it overflows to others. What was it said of those early Christians, New Testament Christians, See how those Christians love one another. As people look at the fellowship here at Park Inn, and they look at the way that you relate and interrelate within the church and within the community, do they say that? You see how those Christians from Park Inn love one another? That's a challenge, isn't it? When will we learn that love is the way to see people enter the kingdom. We have to love them there. But not only was there the blessing of what I've called productive love and aggressive faith, there's the blessing of redemptive faith. In verse 18, and through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. You know, people doubted this until Jesus came. When what was said to Jonah was proved to be true. Salvation is of the Jews. In John 4, 22, then came the moment in God's redemptive plan when Paul could affirm, if you are Christ, you are me, are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. The outworking of that promise is still being seen. In many ways, it already has been seen because the gospel has now reached the ends of the earth. The gospel has been preached in every nation. Oh, there are people groups that still haven't heard. But every nation now has heard the good news that salvation is in Jesus. And the only answer to the desperate world today is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, this gospel of redeeming love. Let me ask you a personal question. I'm known for it. <laughs> Is your life, your life, a powerful influence for evangelism? I'm not saying that you share your faith story, though we should, but is your life, the life that you live at home, maybe in the workplace, maybe in school or college, wherever, you spend your day, are you living out the faith so that people can see in you something of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, where is the proof of our faith? Oh, may God bring us to Calvary once again to demonstrate whether or not we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our, our mind. Only when we come to Calvary and we see the price that he paid to save us. Do we realize what he might be calling from us? It was C.T. Studd that said, 
if Jesus Christ be God and he died for us and he did, then no sacrifice can be too great for us to make for him. As we gaze upon Calvary again. I never preach without coming back to Calvary because it's the only thing that really matters. If we're not saved by the blood of the Lamb, we're lost. But as we look at the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus at Calvary, I've got to say in truth, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. Hear the story of Abraham today. Lead us to Calvary to see the sacrifice that our Savior made for us. And for us to take time and ponder, where are we? He calls us to follow him. He calls us to lay down our lives, if necessary, to be his disciples. And as we respond in obedience, God can be trusted to bless us. Let's pause for a moment and reflect. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. Lord, we want to be honest before you. We can be no other because we know that you see right through us. We're offering ourselves to you and we're asking, O oh God, that you might take us as we are and by your grace transform us into what you want us to be. Here I am. Whatever, whenever, wherever. Take me, take us and use us to make known the good news and to bring glory to your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.